Good morning. It is good to see all of you in here. It's good to see those of you online. We are glad that you have joined us. And uh, I'm just going to get things started right away. We're going to do a little more of this audience participation, okay? The raising hands. I know some of you are getting mildly annoyed at all the hand raising. It's like, why do we have to raise our hands? We're not in school. But this is a fun way to kind of gauge things and get you involved and interested right off the bat. So raise your hand if you have parents. It's not a trick question. If you have or ever have had parents, raise your hand. Okay, now we're getting closer. See, I was a little surprised because recent studies have shown that out of the 7.9 billion people on earth, pretty much all of them have parents, right? Um, And so, in fact, I saw an interesting study that sort of paralleled that one, and it said if your parents had children, the odds are you're one of them, right? So no revelation here. That should be fairly, uh, fairly standard common uh, information for most people. But I want you to think about your parents for a minute. I want you to think about your parents. I hope you had good parents. I did. And I'm grateful for them. And I hope that you did. But I know that we live in a fallen world and that not everybody had great parents. But regardless, most people would agree that most parents want what's best for their kids. Most of your parents wanted what was best for you. And they were willing to make sacrifices for you. If you are a parent, you know that you want what's best for your kids. And even if you're not a parent, if you have kids in your life that are special. There's something special about a child. There's something special about that desire for the good of that child. But regardless of your earthly parents, every single one of us has a heavenly father that absolutely desires our very best and is willing to make sacrifices for us and even come in where our parents may have failed or maybe fill that void, that absence that's left by our parents. In fact, our Heavenly Father was willing to make the ultimate sacrifice, sending His only begotten Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And so when we talk about the best news ever, When we sing about the name of Jesus, that beautiful, wonderful, powerful name, that's what we're singing about. And that's what we're talking about, is that we are beloved children of the one true God. And that he loves us and makes sacrifices for us. And that's been our subject these last several weeks. We're in a series titled The Best News Ever because it is the good news. But it is not just good news. It's not even just great news. It is the best news ever. And so we started this series by talking about the Trinity. That relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And how they eagerly desire to welcome us into the community of divine love that we call the Trinity, the triune God, the one true God. In these last couple of weeks, we've been focusing on Jesus' statement in John 14, 6, that I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. And because Jesus is God, Jesus is the Father, Jesus is the Holy Spirit, they are all one together. They, they work together to welcome us into that way, that truth, that life that they enjoy. And so today we are looking at that final phrase that Jesus is the life. Jesus is the life. He said, I am the life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. It's that third statement in John 14, 6. So we're going to read John 14 this morning. And uh, as we have each morning, uh, hopefully you are reading this and meditating upon it and reflecting upon it throughout the week that it is kind of baking this truth into your soul, imprinting it upon your soul. In John 14, Jesus tells his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. But from now on, you do know him and have seen him. So we're looking at that statement. Jesus says, I am the life. And as we looked a couple of weeks ago, he is the way to God. He is the truth of God. And today, we're focusing on this idea, this bottom line, that Jesus Christ is the life with God. Jesus is God. He is the way to God. He is the truth of God, and he is life with God. We find it in him. He shows us what life lived completely, entirely, consistently with God looks like. We see it in the Gospels. And so if you've been reading the Gospel of Matthew, as I challenged you to last week, that it kind of lines up with our month here. That If you started on the first and you read a chapter a day, and then you get to to take a break. Somebody noticed that. Last week I told you you could take a break on the 16th when Jesus was in the grave and then you'd be reading about the resurrection on the 17th. They said, Pastor, you told us not to read our Bibles. I said, well, not really. I've been here four years and I've almost every time I've preached, I've told you to read your Bible. So I hope that's what has stuck. But yes, if you need a day off, April 16th would be a day that you could take off. You have my permission. Maybe read something else. Read a psalm. Read Psalm 22. There you go. Now you've got an assignment. Read Psalm 22 on Saturday, the 16th. But we've been looking at the Gospels, and all of the Gospels show us a lot about Jesus, and they show us what types of things mattered to Jesus, what was important to Jesus, the types of things that Jesus did. He lived a life of sacrifice. He lived a life of service to others. He lived a life of worship and praise to God. And so he shows us what life with God looks like. And if we want to know what life with God looks like, we look no further than Jesus. He is the life. He is the only life that is truly life. And he invites us to join him in it. And this life that is truly life that Jesus models for us is not just a primrose path without sorrow or suffering or pain. Quite the opposite. He shows us that this life that is truly life will at times be filled with pain and sorrow 
even temptation. He was tempted by the devil just as we are, and yet he was without sin. But it is also a life of great joy and great satisfaction. And I love the pictures of Jesus that we see that translate that joy. I believe it was an extremely joyful experience for Jesus to cast demons out of little children, to heal people who had been born blind or who had been born lame. And and it brought him incredible joy and incredible satisfaction to do that and to be a part of that. Can you imagine that? What that would be like? And it's the same joy that's available to us when we live the way that he lived. And so as we think about this, Jesus is the life with God. Jesus Christ is the life with God. There are three things that I think you need to know about life with Jesus. There are many more than three. These are not the only three, but these are three things that I think are very important for all of us to know about life with Jesus. First, life with Jesus is abundant life. Life with Jesus is abundant life. We talked about this a fair amount in week two, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this point specifically, but he says in John 10.10, I have come that they may have life. My purpose is that they would have life. A rich and satisfying life in the New Living Translation. He wants to give that to us. He wants us to have the life with God. He wants us to experience that. Other translations translate that as the abundant life. Or have life to the fullest. Or have the life that is truly life. These are all different ways of saying the same thing that Jesus Christ, his purpose in coming was that we would have life. A rich and satisfying life. An eternal life. A life that is lived to the fullest. An abundant life. And I believe all those can be boiled down into a statement that says Jesus Christ came that we would have a totally fulfilling life of love and service to God and to each other. That's the life that's truly life. We know because that's the life Jesus lived. And Jesus is the best picture we have of life with God. There's a couple of quotes from Dallas Willard that just popped up in the last week or two for me as I was thinking about and preparing for this sermon. And I've been reading a book by Dallas Willard, so that's not a huge surprise, but I quote Dallas Willard a lot. Dallas Willard has gotten some of these things very, very, very right. And he has said them in a way that I feel is very accessible and helps us to understand this life. But one that really stood out to me and sort of convicted me personally and then corporately for our church and for the capital C church around the world was this statement. He says, many regard Jesus as necessary but not desirable. Necessary for salvation but not desirable as a friend and teacher. And I wonder, how, how does that sit with you? How does that sit with many people who call themselves Christians? They see Jesus as necessary for salvation. I don't want to go to hell when I die. So Jesus is necessary to prevent that outcome. But is life with Jesus really desirable? Is it something that we wake up thinking about, aching for, desiring throughout the day? And as soon as we recognize that we've gotten off course, we desire to get back on course. Is that the experience of most Christians? Is that the experience of most believers? And as I reflected upon that, I could see a continuum over the course of my life. Where I started seeing Jesus as necessary, 
but not really desirable. There were other things that I desired that didn't necessarily line up with Jesus' program for my life, and so I saw Jesus as necessary, but living life with him was going to mean I had to stop doing some things that I rather enjoyed, okay? Now, maybe you didn't have that part. Maybe you grew up a little more straight-laced or a little closer uh, to Jesus throughout your life, but I fell into some sin, and I enjoyed it, right? Like, if sin wasn't fun for you, you weren't doing it right. It always starts out fun, Now, it eventually ends up in bondage. And so now we're trapped in that thing that started out as fun, but it's no longer fun. Jesus wants to deliver us from that. He wants to spare us from that if he can and deliver us from it if we've fallen into it. That's what life with God looks like. But we don't start out desiring that. And so as I looked over the continuum of my faith, I saw a a steady increase in the amount of desire that I had to spend time with Jesus. And there were plateau periods and then there were new, new rise periods and then there were new plateau periods. And so maybe that's your experience as well. But the question is, how much do we really desire it? And I thought about the 24 hours of prayer that we just had. And I celebrated the fact that 45 people signed up for at least a half an hour spot and came and prayed or prayed from home. And I celebrated that. That's 45 people. That's amazing. And I want to thank everybody who came and prayed or prayed from home. Maybe you didn't sign up. But it occurs to me that we reach between 250 and 300 people every Sunday with these services. And over the course of a month, we reach well over 300 people. And so 45 means that's like 250 people that didn't, that didn't make it a priority to join in that 24 hours of prayer. And we had made this really clear. We're going to have a special prayer request sheet for you that you can be praying for this church as we head into Holy Week, praying for each of the ministries in this church. And yet the vast majority of our congregation didn't. I know some people had really good reasons. It wasn't easy for some people to fit that in. I get that. But my hope and my prayer, and one of the things that I prayed as I was here on Saturday morning was that that number would grow and that it would grow into the hundreds of people that when we call a 24 hours of prayer that it would unite the church around prayer. And I can't wait to see what God would do through a church that focused and united around prayer because we have an enemy and prayer is one of our primary offensive weapons against that enemy and it's one of our primary defensive protections against that enemy it's prayer when the church prays together when people pray together when they pray for each other it pushes back the darkness it binds the enemy and he can't overcome we have power he doesn't have and we don't exercise it enough and so I want to encourage you to be praying in fact we had a lot of extra uh, prayer guides and so you can pick those up on your way out if you're watching online and you'd like one just send me an email I'd be happy to send it to you you can still be praying over these next few Uh, days as we head into Holy Week and as we finish up the spring uh, season here at Linwood. So those prayer requests are on the tables as you depart, or if you want to send an email to mark, M-A-R-C, at linwoodchurch.org, I will email one to you, and you can have that and be praying together. So the first thing, oh sorry, there was a second Dallas Willard quote. I got a little, (laughs) got a little excited about that first one. Second one, Only Jesus enables his followers to live a life of selfless, joyful, anxiety-free, loving service on behalf of others. 
Like if you follow Jesus, that's what he makes available to us. It's a life of selfless, joyful, anxiety-free, loving service on behalf of others. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't desire that? Now, both of those quotes come from a book called Life Without Lack. It's written by Dallas Willard. It is a phenomenal little book. And I would strongly encourage you to read it. There's probably going to be a sermon series based on that book in the fall. And so you'd be, you be doing some extra credit. You'd be reading ahead. And I think you will find, as I have, that it will illuminate this desire for God. It will increase this desire for God because of all that he has already done for us, all that he wants to do in us and through us. Second point. I said I wasn't going to spend a ton of time on that first one, and then I did. Second point. Life with God, life with Christ, is eternal life. Life with Christ is eternal life. It's not just abundant life, it's eternal life. You put those two together, that means that it is an eternal abundant life. It is an eternal rich and satisfying life. That's what Jesus shows us, and that's what Jesus longs to give us. In John 17, 3, Jesus is praying for us right before he is crucified. He's praying for us, and he says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's eternal life. It's knowing God, knowing Jesus, who is God. That is eternal life. It's knowing him. It's knowing Christ. It's knowing God. Knowing the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, another Willard quote, the the gospel is less about how to get into the kingdom of heaven after you die and more about how to live in the kingdom of heaven before you die. Did you catch that? The gospel is less about how to get into heaven when you die and more about how to live in heaven now. Live in the kingdom of heaven now. We don't have to wait. We can begin that life with Jesus, that eternal, rich, and satisfying life, now, here and now. And so this this scripture, this prayer of Jesus makes it really clear that it's not what you know or what you do, it's who you know. How many of you heard that phrase in business? It's not what you know, it's who you know. Well, it's true in regards to this rich and satisfying life that Jesus wants us to have for eternity. It's not what we know. It's not even what we do. It's who we know, Jesus, and what we do with him. How we live with him. It's not about the false or the counterfeit gods that this world throws at us, that this fallen world shows us, this is what you need, this is what's important. These are the idols that you need to bow down to. Idols or false gods like money or power or pleasure or fame. There is a real life, there is a true life, a life that is really life that those are all extremely secondary to. And yet if we make those the main thing, we miss both. We lose both. And those become tools of the enemy for bondage away from God. But you know which, you know which counterfeit God, which false God I struggle with the most? His name is Mark. Now, don't get me wrong. He's a really nice guy. But he is a terrible God. 
And when he's on the throne of my life, it's a mess, even with the best intentions. And if I'm counting on him, if I'm counting on Mark Sundstrom and what he can do to bring me into an eternally rich and satisfying life, I'm hopeless. And you are too. And Jesus knew this. And that's why the third point is true. Life with Christ is preceded by death to self. Life with Christ is preceded by death to self. So this may sound crazy, but bear with me. I have to kill Mark Sundstrom. I have to die to myself every single day. This is what Jesus meant when he said, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross daily and follow me. I have to die to myself. I have to die to myself every day in order to experience the fullness of life with Christ. He has to be on the throne of my life, not me. Not some other false god of money or power or pleasure or fame. And I believe Paul knew this as well. Perhaps better than anyone else. And he says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. It is Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He understood this. He understood he had to be crucified with Christ. He had to die to himself so that Christ could live his life, could live through him. And this is a fascinating statement because Paul understood that the greatest opposition to the work that God wanted to do through him was not the Judaizers who were coming around behind him trying to undo the work that he was doing. It was not his Roman oppressors. It was not the people that had tried to stone him. It was Paul. Paul was the greatest threat or potential opposition that he could encounter. And so this brings a really important element to the forefront. And that is that we live in a culture where things like celebrity and fame are valued so highly. And everybody wants to be an influencer. And everybody wants to get fame and notoriety, especially in the younger generations. They want to grow up and become a a YouTube influencer or an Instagram influencer influence and have videos and TikToks that reach millions of people. And so they're chasing this idea of fame or this idea of celebrity. And yet we see in Jesus that he never pursued fame. He never pursued celebrity. He pursued selflessness and service and was humble and was a man of constant sorrow. And that's not what we're chasing. I heard an interesting analogy this week that, did you realize, and I had forgotten this if I had known it, that Princess Diana Lady Diana, and Mother Teresa died in the same week. Did you remember that little tidbit? And we have a whole world full of people that really want to be famous like Princess Diana. Now, Princess Diana was a wonderful humanitarian leader, so I'm not taking anything away from that. But there are a lot more little girls hoping and praying that they'll grow up to be like Princess Diana than there are that are hoping and praying that they'll grow up to be like Mother Teresa. And so if we're focused on fame and celebrity as the path to greatness or the path to life that is truly life, we're missing it. 
You see, Paul knew, Jesus knew, we have a sin problem and we have to put to death the part of us, our flesh, that gets tripped up and pulled away into sin so that the Spirit and Christ can live in us and live through us and move us toward the life that is really life. Now, you might be saying, that's all great, Pastor Mark, but how do we do it? How do we do that? I believe it comes down to three words. Believe, receive, and follow. Believe, receive, and follow. This is very biblical. This is very scriptural. This is essentially what Jesus is saying throughout the Gospel of John. First, we believe. We believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said he could do. That he is the way to God, the truth of God, the life with God. Not only that, that he is the only way to God, the only truth of God, and the only life with God. That he came that we would have that life with him, with God. That he lived a perfect sinless death, that he, or perfect sinless life, that he died that horrifying death on the cross, and that he resurrected conquering sin and death forever on our behalf, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Once we believe that, then we receive. We receive the gift of his perfect sacrifice on our behalf. We agree and we confess that we are sinners in need of salvation, and we exchange our sin and our shame for his mercy and grace. This is the great exchange that Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we exchange our sin and shame for his mercy and grace, and we begin to live that life. That's the third step, follow. Believe, receive, follow. We follow him every day, in every way, step by step. As he reveals where we fall off the path, we come back on. This is the life with God. Jesus Christ is the life with God. We follow him by spending time in his word, by spending time in prayer, by spending time in fellowship with other believers, by serving one another and serving the world outside the church, by spending time in prayer and in, in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Following the Spirit step by step. You might think, well, that sounds like a lot of work. Sounds like a lot of work, Pastor Mark. But I think it also sounds like a lot of joy and a lot of satisfaction and perhaps most importantly, a lot of freedom. Because we see tremendous joy, tremendous satisfaction, tremendous freedom when we look at Jesus. And that's what he wants us to have. And he wants us to have it forever. And I wish I had started sooner, that I had followed closer, and that I had desired him even more. And that's my hope and prayer for all of us, because I believe that's good news. I believe that is the best news ever. And so the question is, do you? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that's the best news ever? And if so, then tell someone. Tell anyone. Tell everyone this best news ever. Because if we really did this, then I believe that the church and the kingdom would grow. They would flourish beyond anything that we can even imagine. Just with our church right here, if we all believed this and if we all did this, and we all lived like it was true, the church would grow. The kingdom would grow. 
And so that's what this sermon series is ultimately about. It's about encouraging us to live like it's true, to share it, to tell people. Don't wait and don't quit. Don't settle for, I tried that once and they didn't receive it very well. Tell someone else. Tell them again. Tell anyone. Because my prayer, is, and this is getting heavier and heavier on my heart, is this sabbatical that we mentioned a couple of weeks ago. As that gets closer, it's just a little over four weeks away now. As that gets closer, this is heavier and heavier on my heart because, because I know we have an enemy that is trying and he's bringing attack and I can see it. And I'm burdened by it. And I'm hoping and praying for a rally cry within the church that, that I come back to a stronger, healthier church with lots of new faces that I've never met and, and that I get to meet the people that you have shared with and that you have invited and that you have brought. That we come back stronger that I come back to a stronger congregation, a more unified, more vibrant church with a lot of new people. That's my hope and my prayer. And so I'm asking you to, to join me in that prayer. I'd like to invite the uh, worship team to come up as we prepare to close. So we've got some exciting things happening here. Next week, we get to celebrate some baptisms. Not quite sure how many yet. Seems like every week or two, somebody else gets saved down in Kids Way. There's adults that have reached out and expressed an interest. Several have done the class. There's a class today after the second service in room 114, just down the hall into Kids Way, through Kids Way into the south lobby. If you have not been baptized as an adult, I would strongly encourage you to take that step to make a public profession of faith, to follow Christ as an act of obedience. He was baptized. We should be baptized. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence among us. Thank you for riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, knowing that it set in motion a chain of events that culminated with you on a cross giving your life for us. Help us to live in response to that. Help us to actively seek the next step with you and for you. Help us to pursue you wholeheartedly to live open-handedly and to exchange all the false gods that this world dangles in front of us for a life-giving relationship with you, the one true God. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.